I've, I've spoken when I spoke to lots of different people, especially David Cook. He had the best answer ever, saying he gave about you know a thirty minute, thirty second pause, and then said, "I didn't find photography; photography found me." Which I thought, wow. <laughs> but, well, I guess it's the, it's it's kind of the same for me, I guess. Yeah. But um, uh, and it's interesting you mentioned David, and as I said in my email, you know David's father, Bram Cook, um, he <laughs> yeah. literally saved my life. You know, um, and that's a big part of my my um coming to photography was was that i've had really chronic bad crohn's disease for many many years and um i spent a lot of time in in hospital and in care and on huge amounts of steroids and things and you know i couldn't i couldn't imagine walking to the letterbox let alone going to japan or to auckland or these sorts of things i thought i i genuinely thought my life was over and um you know and that was you just struggle on and that was for the most of my teen years that's that's sort of how i felt and um so what age was that uh so maybe 13 to 13 to 17 and then again when i was at university i had a huge um relapse and and um hemorrhage and nearly died in the shower and lots of things like that and um you know and I, I'm, I'm a life to Bram David's father and um and to a team of other people who subsequently took over from him after his retirement and um you know and I guess you know this is all to say to lead up to the fact that you know I went to art school um here at the University of Canterbury not to study photography because I'd literally never picked up a single camera in my entire life before going to art school and had no interest whatsoever in photography at that point um i wanted to be an animator or if not an animator for movies and things for a a designer Um, reason being um i was just so used to being sick being in my own world and um you know uh, escaping to fantasy lands and video games or in um animations and things and um because i couldn't take part in the real world so to speak and um so that was my journey to art school was thinking that i wanted to be creative i could be solitary in a studio um making these worlds to escape into and um and you know and this is funny you mentioned david too because i think he had a similar experience with glenn bush um glenn was the photography teacher at, at Ilam at that point in time. And um, he said, what do I want? What do you want to do? And I sort of told him that I wanted to be an animator. And he said, well, you know, you're here at university to extend yourself, to learn, to um, push yourself, to try things you haven't before. And this is a two-week kind of incubator, so to speak. And here's your task. You Here's a camera. Here's... 10 rolls of film or whatever it was and I want you to go out and only take one photograph of one photograph at a time but talk to random people on the side of the road and um, take a photograph of them and just come back and report back and tell us what you found and um, and while you're doing it you try to take a good photo but that's not the main imperative here it's that's more about kind of being part of the world and feeling engaged and at the end of the week you know i had these proof sheets with you know a couple of hundred shots of people um all staring back at me and almost none of them were good photographs but i could tell you where everybody had been where they were going what their names were i'd never felt so accomplished in my entire life because it was terrifying to do that and um have someone encourage me to do that and had the tool that gave me an excuse to do that. Um, and that's when I decided, well, okay, I am at university. I am studying to kind of do something different and further myself. And that's the area I need to work on most. So I chose the camera as a means um, to push myself in that direction. Yeah. And so that's, that's how I came to photography. It wasn't from a um, desire to be a, an artist or a, 
um, a documentarian as such. It was simply in its purest form a way of kind of encouraging myself to kind of be part of a world that I'd largely been completely removed from up until then. So. And how did that, I mean, I always find those initial, um, initial moves from university to post-university and what you decide to do at that kind of crucial point are interesting in terms of how that starts your career off in a certain direction. What, what did you do in those initial sort of few years? Did you just carried on with the projects that you've been working on at university or what, what happened? That, that's uh, after, you know, uh, yeah, so I, so I, I, I finished my undergrad, I think it was in 2001, I think. 2001 and um and i i again had had this relapse back into hospital for a period of time and i was um so i was sort of quite i was sort of housebound for a bit and then i was getting better again and again wanting to go out and explore the world and be part of things and um, it was a time you know when all of my well a lot of my friends um closest friends were going overseas because they they were doing three-year degrees and I was doing a four-year undergraduate degree and um you know they were sending postcards back and yeah digital photography wasn't a massive thing then you know <laughs> so yeah, people yeah. were sending physical things you know and it was kind of quite quippy a couple of lines saying how amazing the world was and how much I had to leave home to <laughs> find myself and all of those sorts of things and to put it really mildly they started to really fuck me off <laughs> like and um and so I you know I was getting better but I couldn't leave I couldn't leave because I needed medical care and I needed family to help me kind of keep strong and things and but what I could do I don't know I I, I just started thinking that why is it that everybody else everybody tells you in a cliched way it's the New Zealand thing to say that you need to go on your big OE to kind of see how the world works and to get some perspective and to um, become worldly when you know sometimes it's just a matter of talking to your next door neighbor because so many people don't even know who the hell they live next to you know and yeah so I started kind of in a really um, basic way, started just going out and photographing and doing like dispatches from home, I suppose, to try and prove to friends that you didn't have to go to Thailand or to London or to Paris or New York to kind of see amazing things. And, you know, the amazing things are can be found in all of those places. Yeah. Some of those places have never been, but you can also see amazing things in the person's house across the road or um you just have to ask the questions and be open to meeting people so i started sort of doing these these dispatches and sending postcards back basically scanning photographs sending them back to people and saying you know um get real you know you can do this in your own back yeah <laughs> you know? so that's 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 sort of where that developed into a um a postgraduate project again you know going back and studying and having the luxury of time and resources and things you kind of craft that into something that was kind of a um well not spiteful but a, a, a sort of a one of those sorts of things like a like a folly or something like that into something that meant something to other people that was um meaningful beyond kind of me and a yeah, sphere yeah. of friends it was aimed at you know yeah, yeah. And um, so that was, was my immediate thing was, were any of those projects are they things that you know have since become a book or something was it is that you yeah know? so so and that was that specific project sort of initially time and worked on then put aside for a bit and then worked on again and it, it ended up becoming uh, my first book, which was Red Bus Diaries, yeah, Red okay. Bus Diary, and um, that was published by um, Hazard Press and the University of Canterbury. Under there, um, they had a platform, what they called Platform Arts Festival at the time. Yeah. So, and um, that book was essentially the the work that I produced for my masters. Um, yeah. 
thesis. Yeah. And a great book it is too. I'll come back to some of probably your earlier projects a bit later. Um, but obviously the whole Christchurch documentary project place in time has been such a big thing in your life, quite clearly from looking at the amount of work that you've put into it. I wonder whether you could, um, say something about where you were when the earthquakes happened and your reaction and then something about how the place in time project developed in the early stages. Yeah. Um, that's, earthquakes are weird one cause I was even the September quake and the February quake and they were like at completely different times of the day, obviously sort of 3am or whatever it was, 4am and then one or something like that in the afternoon in February. Um, but I was standing in exact, the same place on both occasions <laughs> and um and i was standing in the kitchen of our old flat and um hard to describe to anybody but it, because of the nature of the 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 depth of the quake the the position the geography of christchurch you know um it was like no it was like getting hit by the house was hit by a truck or a Boeing had flown into the side of it or something like that and I, I literally saw the piano in, across the hallway tip over, touch the ground and then stand back up again, stand upright yeah <laughs> I, I did not imagine it, I, I saw that yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and um, I, I don't even know how that's physically possible but that's what I saw and um, you know, and, and of course, it eventually it sort of stopped shaking and you know that nothing is the same after that, you know, that, that all those things that you um, took for, take, have taken for granted or um, all those places that you found yourself calling home, you know, that they would no longer exist, or at least not in that form forever, let alone maybe once they're rebuilt but it was it became very clear very quickly that nothing that i loved in the scent in the heart of the city was going to be left by the time they opened the cordons back up and yeah. um and so it's interesting know, like, how you know you're a photographer and you know that you want to capture things but it's also a very stressful personal experience going through that you know how quickly did you well, think, I did, okay, yeah. i'm going to pick up the camera and uh, start documenting this well i did i didn't pick the camera up because there were so many parasites and um, people even locals going around with um, cameras whether they be on iphones primitive iphones you know and those you know people rubbernecking and from other parts of the city who didn't weren't experiencing anything broken. I mean we were in a good we were in a good part of the city but we were like the worst affected house on the best street kind of thing okay. <laughs> you know? and um, so you know I have a really vivid memory of you know our our um, driveway had opened up a huge cavity and and silt and sewage and things was coming up out of the driveway and um, covered everything around the house and you know, after the quakes, of course, sort of things subside a bit and you can go out, you just have to go out and shovel things and shovel everything onto the street to try and clean up. You've got no choice. And um, I remember one morning we're sort of doing that and then I went inside, cleaned myself up and went to make a cup of coffee for my wife and myself. And um, then a whole, I saw out of the window, a whole, um, like a Subaru Legacy or I don't think it was a van, but like a whole, whole carload of strapping young men sort of slowing down while my wife was shoveling silt and things and um slowing down i thought oh great here's some people who are being good sort of citizens and be going to help because that's what was happening all over the city people were helping each other and strangers were going across the other side of the city to help people they'd never met before and things and the student army was out but no these these guys leant out the window with cell phones and just took photos of her and then just drove off and at that moment i i sort of swore that i'd give up photography i never wanted any part of it again you know and um 
and I didn't take any photos for, I mean, it felt like six months, but it wasn't, it was sort of, I don't know, maybe it was a, maybe it was a month or a couple of months or something. And, um, cause I just didn't want to contribute to that. Yeah. That awful cesspit of kind of sensationalist sort of, um, reporting or anything like that. I thought, what could, what could I possibly kind of contribute to that? And after a while I sort of, I'd met, I'd met Alex so that, uh, um, workshop in Auckland that Harvey Bench had organised. But the thing that stood out to me for months, and I was sort of thinking about this after the quake during my, um, you know, my hiatus from from photography, that he had said that after Hurricane Katrina, he'd been asked by various news outlets to photograph um, New Orleans and places that had been affected dramatically by... um, by the hurricane and the flooding and things, and that he had decided that he wasn't going to do that because it wasn't his home and he felt like he didn't know how to kind of contribute to that um, discussion in a in a way that wasn't, that was fitting with his sort of morals or his ethics. And um, so I emailed him, just asked him his thoughts, and his reply was pretty short, but um, it said, look, you're from you're from there, you've made work about there your whole career. And, um, you know, if anyone is able to yeah. communicate something of worth, you know, it would be someone like you, not meaning just me, but yeah. someone like yeah. me, you know, and, um, and you should do it because your voice is valid as long as it's kind of deliberate and sort of critical and, um, honest, you know, and, yeah. um, and he said, beyond that, I don't have any advice for you because you just have to find your own way. So that's that's sort of where I started sort of photographing. And it was a, um, you know, a long kind of road from there to now, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I found, I found it interesting in the whole, where did the actual place and time, was, was that, that was your idea? Or was that with Glenn Bush as well? How did that no, so place and time yeah sort of origin it was glenn bush's sort of brainchild and that and it started officially in the year 2000 so okay it was sort of born out of this idea that you know that the most fundamental thing of you know a democracy or a or a for want of a better term a healthy and engaged community is is basically to be sort of informed and for it to sort of know itself and um and you know and obviously around the year 2000 and things the media and things that was going you know especially after um you know in the 80s with the kind of huge economic reforms and all of that sort of thing um the media was becoming you know i think this is still true to a certain extent sort of less sort of critical and um particularly in a in a visual sense you know images very much secondary to kind of text and um very illustrative but very sort of one-dimensional in a sense um so the the glenn glenn's idea was that we would create this archive that would be built on you know piece by piece and it would it would be a i guess a mirror to to society and how it works and to how communities grow and thrive and but not to be pie in the sky about it to be to shed light on other things as well like um you know um discontent or um struggle and social injustice <laughs> things like yeah. that and so that's that, that it was him that started it really and yeah um and kind of very early on because i happened to be a young student at that time I started to sort of volunteer and contribute content of which the first thing I contributed to was um, the My Place uh, show which um, Glenn sort of spearheaded and Bruce Conyu um, came down to photograph for and um, uh, and then Red Bus Diaries and uh, was then became part of that and then um, on Glenn's retirement from lecturing at the University of Canterbury and I think I think it must have been 2000 and 
2018, um, I took over the directorship of the of the archive, and um, and yeah, now I'm sort of charged, I suppose, with trying to uh, modernise it, get it get it online, and have a have a better presence. And um, and so we've been working with Sons and Co. web designers to design the website. Um, thinking about different ways to kind of interact with and liaise with or facilitate new projects. Um, yeah, I was wondering that. How, how do you, you know, how do you curate what do you commission, um, you know, specific projects or is it more a case of people coming to you or people through university saying, I'm working on this and, you know, it sort of morphs into something that you add to the Well, I guess, project. yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's a bit of everything. And, I, and we're very... You know, it's just it's just myself, Bridget Anderson, and Barbara Gary, really, who who do most of the stuff, but primarily myself and um, Bridget. And you know, I guess as you people would sort of understand that there's so much stuff going on in and around the city, it becomes a it's an epic undertaking to kind of keep things current and to keep it updated. <laughs> and yeah, to, yeah. So we're, we're always kind of. Um, working with people to help make things happen and to facilitate things and hopefully put things into the archive, whether, whether they've been created by students, which is primarily where our content um, has come from, um, but also other people that might be in the midst of creating things or have created a body of work that um, they think would be relevant to the archive, then we can work, we work together to sort of come to an arrangement whereby it can be promoted and shown or featured on the site and um you know obviously we don't have any form of copyright the full copyright retains with um the artist or the photographer and it's simply a means of sort of helping get the work out there and and seen and appreciated rather than it be hidden under a bed somewhere yeah and i was interested um one of the questions i initially emailed you about the do you see um any separation between um, photographic projects you curate and work that goes into place and time archive do you feel like it's everything you produce now you, you'll see it ending up in the in the in the project or I mean do you think some things um, what what wouldn't be relevant for it and what would be yeah well yeah I mean I guess that's in turn you know with myself Bridget Glenn who's still a large part of of things too um primarily you know we think okay well it's it's about the, the main projects page should be about things that are like stories or content that is about the wider kind of canterbury region so you know it's not that we don't want to feature in place and time um amazing things that are being shot all over the country you know whether it be Chris Corson Scott's um, um, work or um, Haru's work on the Sky Tower or <laughs> any of these sorts of things. But simply, you know, if we were to open it up like that, it becomes yeah, very yeah. difficult for us to manage yeah. and things. So our focus is, 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 is very much on the Canterbury region, um, which is why we've also got, you know, I think we're trying to utilise now, um, particularly... <laughs> particularly now that we've gone into this lockdown period, kind of our, our, our features section of the website where we can talk more about kind of theory and practice, things happening in different parts of the country, um, different um, approaches to documentary, um, uh, you know, different cities because, you know, we're not working in a closed kind of bubble. Um, we're part of a larger ecosystem within, you know, within New Zealand and then within the global community. So hopefully um, we can start using that features section to, to feature more of that work that might not necessarily make it into the, um, the archive itself. Yeah. Has there been any um, interesting photographic responses to last year's Christchurch massacre that you're aware that people are working on? Or Yeah. I mean, Janet Gill, um, a really great, photographer um originally from Colombia who found her way to New Zealand has done some amazing work um photographing the widows of um people that yeah. unfortunately lost their lives in in, in the attacks um, and that's been a very long hard yeah. project for, 
for her, which and she's been working alongside um, Radio New Zealand, the BBC, uh, and, and many other community and um, uh, religious sort of organisations as well to try to help make that happen. But that's a real slow burn because she's so um, you know so careful about you know religious re belief around representation and the ethics of those sorts of things and um but she's been slowly releasing that kind of work during various kind of events and um and festivals and, and isn't actually just now starting to work on a on another sort of a side project whereby these people that have direct experience of this, this sort of atrocity are, are working with some of the organic matter that um was sort of saved and collected after the memorial wall was um memorial flower the memorial flower wall was dismantled so okay. people making pig pigment inks from oh. a lot of this sort of matter yeah. to give it a new life within those yeah. those that pig but that pigment being used and to make gum prints and oh um, how fantastic so um uh, she's done amazing stuff and i'm hoping um to be able to feature that sometime soon but i believe a lot of it's under at the moment, at least, until it's been published for other news outlets, it's some of it's under kind of an embargo scenario or whatever they yeah. call it. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's amazing. I guess, um, God, give it another year or two, there'll be projects on the experience of COVID. It feels so, uh, so fresh <laughs> at the moment, doesn't it? Well, it's one of, it's one of the things that I'm, I'm just trying to think about now for the website as a place and time is to, to have short dispatches or features yeah. from people of their experience. And there might be a single image and a paragraph, or it might be a smaller photo essay or a longer photo essay of um, things as they unfold. But, um, I'm quite keen in terms of the helping people feel connected and for people to maintain their sort of sense of purpose and, um, yeah, to help inspire people to kind of... Yeah, I think that'd be a lovely idea. Things. Yeah, and especially yeah, when yeah. you're saying about traditional media outlets, you know, failing to, I don't know, take the time and visual um, care to represent things in a certain way, but to be able to put stuff on a, you know, an art photography website and to, uh, but, but yet do it as something fresh and new and immediate would be a really nice kind of combination i think yeah i think there's something too you know that's the thing with the projects on place and time the things that are up at the moment is, is not everything i've got in the archive because i just haven't had time to get everything up but the the, the main thing is a lot of those projects have been labored on for a long period of time that they're um and you know we we think they're all very good but there's something too i think um the more kind of not I don't want to use the word snappy because it seems a bit flippant. But yeah, the, I know what you mean. Immediate, kind of quick. They're more, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. They're the more immediate kind of responses to things that yeah. aren't by necessarily photographers or writers that are um, you know people just expressing how they feel and see what they see out the window. What yeah, you know, I mean, because there's so many people out there feeling. Um, anxious whether it be about work about loved ones about themselves or you know how to pay the rent after yeah. losing jobs you know you hear some of these horrible stories and um for this for the website or for me or for bridget or whoever to act, act as some form of conduit to kind of get some of these voices and experiences out there so people understand or f and have a greater sense of empathy for yeah. what other people are going through would yeah. be a great thing i think yeah um, on a on a sort of different tack, up, you know, looking through your work, it's I've said how um, your your style feels like it's changed to me. Looking from the outside, in terms of things like premarital bliss, bliss, and these are the days, and DPO being personal documentary projects, um, to, to the more recent work you've done of um, Christchurch um, in a more I said more Dusseldorf manner, but you, uh, I don't think you took offense, but you, you questioned it because you said it was, <laughs> you, you said it was so cold, but I thought, I thought about that comment and thought, um, to me, it does look quite cold, but I imagine to you, it's full of 
it's emotionally charged because it's your place. Do you know what I mean? There's that kind well, of... Well, yeah, no, yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I guess one thing is a lot, all of that other work has been done, or well, a lot of it at least, has been done alongside the other kind of work. So, yeah. you know, the, the kind of work in Avonside and um, uh, in the central city of Christchurch or... Um, you know, all of that work has been, you know, for, I, my father passed away five years ago yesterday. And um, right. so that is, although perhaps it's not that fresh anymore, but that work happened a long time after, you know, I started to work in quite a um, a distant or a methodical kind of manner with, you know, post-quake landscape and all those sorts of things. Um, but I can see, you know, I can see how someone would look at, at a lot of the work that I've produced in the post-quake environment and, and feel like it has that air of objective, um, you know, again, the Dusseldorf colour, large format, um, <laughs> hyper-real maybe, yeah. um, feel to it. Um, I guess I don't dispute that reading, but you're right, you're right in thinking that, you know, <sighs> For me, it's different because I, I have a sort of a genuine affection and connection to things. But then, so did Hiller and, and Bernard Bisho um, <laughs> with the water cooling to us, you know. Yeah, so yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a methodology that kind of or means to an end, isn't it? So, yeah, um, yeah. I think just the, for me, the context is important, you know. Yeah. And and I'm not. You know, a lot of those photographers, when it Bernard Hillard Besher or um, Thomas Struth or um, Gursky, you know, they come at it from a very conceptual yeah. kind, of, kind of angle, you know, whether it be Struth's, you know, street, every sort of street scene from the centre point of the road yeah. looking down with a particular kind of vantage point and a methodology to that or, yeah, you know, like a real rigorous kind of rigid, way of working like the dishes you know whereas i'm far more interested in the narrative and um you know the how can i put it yeah the context i suppose yeah. like what caused this the yeah I mean, and again you could you could argue of course that with struth for example he's talking about pre and post or post-war specifically germany and mm. um you know, psychology of sort of people as expressed through kind of these quite austere sort of black and white landscapes. But, um, and that's true, but. And, and again, cynically, not... maybe I wonder whether, um, you know, I've always been a big fan of all the Dusseldorf, but maybe, maybe less so now than I was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. But I wonder whether, um, uh, a lot of their stuff in its, um, similarities is, Due to commercial art world concerns, the scale. Oh, for sure, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you can't hide from the fact that they've got a uh, a winning formula. If you're from a Dusseldorf school and you create that kind of, um, you know, objective type of photography, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but maybe that's just me being cynical. Well, I, well, I, I think it pays to be cynical because I think there's a lot of shit in the art world. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, you know, and I'm saying this teaching within an art school, and I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not kind of dogmatic in the way that I think what is sort of good or bad art. But um, yeah, I think you know, you talk about formulas. I think yeah, things people pick up on formulas, and how can I put it? Like, you know, here's so many kind of people in photography you know when they're looking at say the Dusseldorf work it's they're impressed by the scale of it for example you know the yeah buying photography you know, by the square meter <laughs> yeah yeah and it, or it's sort of the 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 idea that it's sort of you know it's playing into other art world conventions too like ex exclusivity like it's a it's a one-off or it's yeah. one of three or um I'm not here. Yeah. Maybe if I didn't have a steady income, I'd buy into that. Yeah. More out of, necess out of necessity. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But it's it's certainly it's not that way of working or thinking is not for me because I think it ends up being convention by which you work to for 
sales or the to, to work to fashion whereas i'm much more interested in sort of keeping it fresh for myself which is why sort of process is interesting to me to kind of change things up and yeah flip things on their head or yeah i don't know i sort of feel like i'm rambling a little bit because i don't no, necessarily no. have an answer to it no yeah exactly i mean um just to quit the rambling then, I was just looking at some of the answers that you were talking about in terms of your um, uh, inspirations like Glenn Bush and um, you mentioned Haru Samashima and Mark Adams and later on David Cook and Bruce Conyu being big influences on your practice. I was wondering whether you could um, say something about how they've been a big influence on your practice. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Glenn obviously he taught me he was the person who got me out thinking about just in being engaged <laughs> you know and you know he was a great is a great teacher and mentor because you know we talk more about social political kind of ideas you know politics and and systems more than we'd talk about photography you know yeah. so and by extension of that you're thinking about you know and what world how do you, what world are you kind of existing in what are you photographing what's the implication of this image you know what's who's the audience you know what what do you hope people get from this and what what might other people kind of bring to it you know and so i guess that's that idea that you know for him by extension of that it was that that thing of you know image is not simply what it shows you it's um you know it's it's not just the world within that frame it's not just an aesthetic sort of object or something it's it has a sort of a currency beyond um beyond itself you know <laughs> and um so the first so for glenn he was sort of someone who got just got me thinking more critically about actually you know what am i doing this for you know and my audience yeah but later on you know um you know haru and Mark, amazing people. You know, they they share their studio up in Studio Lagonda in Auckland, and um, you know they've been inspirations and mentors to countless people across you know New Zealand community, let alone um, not just photography but art. You know, um, I think both of them have produced amazing bodies of work and and helped facilitate. You know, if you, especially when you think of someone like Haru through Rim Books. Uh, and his teaching at Elam through um, just countless amounts of photography, uh, photography um, projects, you know. Um, yeah. And I think, I think yeah, it's someone like Mark, for example, I'm looking out the window at the moment as I'm saying this and just sort of staring and at to the Port Hills, just sort of thinking about how to word this. But you know, someone like, something like Mark, someone like Mark, <laughs> he's done his thing constantly consistently through sheer determination and, and belief in what it is he has to say through mm. doing the work he's been inflexible <laughs> you know and and never buckled to fashion and the art world found him <laughs> you know and um he's one of the lucky ones of course but and i think you know his work I believe should be hailed as the equal of people like Colin McCann or Hotary or um, any of the big name kind of artists, painters, sculptors, Peter Robinson, all of these people. I think he's his work and his contribution to art, let alone photography in this country shouldn't be underestimated. And I just think for me, it's, I love the images, but beyond that, I think the images have a life to them that, and are an amazing record, yeah. kind of almost unequaled by anyone else in this country. You know, I think of people like Arns Westra, amazing, um, same thing, um, Eberhardt um, and Noble. You know, there's people out there that have done similar things and deserve that same reputation. And um, so Mark's, you know, beyond being an amazing photographer and a <laughs> all those sorts of things he's he's also you know he he can have an amazing joke with him too but i think his work's amazing haru is just um is as much the same you know sort of selfless in a sense 
he'd dispute that, of course. But um, again, I talked to Haru and I come away feeling inspired. I think his photography, his photographs, you know, are phenomenal because he's never, again, he's not bowing to fashion or being dictated to by what's sort of popular at the moment. He does what he believes in. And, and a good part of his work, his photography work or his career is, is, is helping other people find their voice too including me and i think you know i'd be forever grateful for for um his me- his mentorship um because i yeah it, at times when i've been um doubting what i've been doing just takes one person like him to say keep it up um i like this point something small out he might think it's an inconsequential comment but it means the world to me so you know for, for myself you know i have to acknowledge that i'm very very fortunate i won't say lucky because i've worked very i believe i've worked very hard to sort of earn my spot but i have a great job <laughs> and um a steady income and and within an institution that actively and encourages me to to do my thing to feed back into a teaching program so i'm one of the lucky few that um as opposed, you know, to say someone like Mark who exists on the smell of an oily rag and, you know, is completely inflexible with materials and will not eat instead of buying and then instead buy, you know, a box of Tri-X or T-Max <laughs> or something like that, you know. So I'm very, I have to acknowledge that, you know, and that's it's certainly not the case for the majority of people, you know. Um, but I think, yeah, New Zealand, I don't know who said this, I might have been Patrick Reynolds or something like that. that said, you know, I heard him once say, you know, New Zealand's like a a small small island with windows looking out. <laughs> you know, everybody is here looking out to the sort of the rest of the world, looking at what other people are doing. I don't know the international style or the fashion. You know, what fashion, what the next fashion might be, all of those sorts of things. And I don't know that relative sort of remoteness. I think can can be a double-edged sword you can kind of find yourself looking out thinking about okay well what is going on overseas as if as if better things are going on overseas when quite clearly obviously that's not always the case you know um but also on the other hand you know the kind of relative isolation can breed i think you know maybe a, a tighter sense of community or a more honed or nuanced kind of regional language or um you know i i th- yeah i think um the community here is is relatively tight-knit because there's no other choice <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, if, if you want if you want to if you want to do your thing and and feel like your work let alone you have a life you know you need to connect with people because the ecosystem is sort of relatively small compared to these huge places in the rest of the world where ecosystems are quite large, you know. Um, and the thing that I realised sort of a couple of years ago when I spent some time overseas and was looking at a lot of photography and went to a few institutions to have a look, I sort of think, well, there's tons of amazing stuff happening overseas and amazing work happening, but it's no better than here, <laughs> you know. Yeah. There's more of it, and I guess because the ecosystem's larger, there's more opportunity for people perhaps to make a meagre living off doing what they love. But that doesn't mean the quality of work's any higher for it. I think it just means there's more of it. You know? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So I assume so, you're ongoing with your various Christchurch series at the moment. Is there anything else that you're doing at the moment that's? New? Oh yeah, um, yeah. Um, I'm always working on tons of stuff <laughs> and half half of the stuff I kind of have no idea what it's about and the other half it's quite well formed the major thing I'm working on at the moment is a is is working with the um, Christchurch Cathedral reinstatement trust to photograph the reinstatement or the you know the restoration of the um, Christchurch Cathedral over the next sort of you know, seven to ten years or there's a nice commission <laughs> yeah well i say i say i say commission but it's it kind of it kind of is but it it's not you know like it's uh because for me i'm doing it with bridget anderson my um good friend and colleague and um she photographed the 
the planning and building of the of Shigeru Barnes um, cardboard cathedral okay. here, and that right, yeah. was a book that was published by um, Auckland University Press. So I'm doing it with her. So quite di- very very different sort of styles and approaches to photography, and um, we're kind of more interested in the the idea of the heart of the city kind of beating again and returning seems a bit ironic considering the current state of affairs with this um, lockdown yeah. but people returning to the square and life returning to the square and the heart of the city air yeah, pumping again so is that the, the is that the beautiful sort of panoramic tableaus you've been doing yeah so i've been doing a lot of yeah yeah good way to put yeah panoramic sort of multi-panel tableaus of people coming and going yeah lovely um, yeah. through the square as i I guess I stand in a particular spot and I, I basically just methodically kind of photograph and turn, you know, panel by panel by panel. And, you know, it might be over the course of sort of five hours or something like that. So you get the sense of people coming and going, um, time passing. So one kind of result of the kind of work pieced up out of, um, you know, in some instances sort of 12 slices of time over five hour period, you know, um, just to give a sense of, you know, the fact that the, yeah, the place is constantly changing and shifting, you know, if you, you move through the space at one time a day and it's one thing you move through 10 minutes later, it's completely different kind of feeling or atmosphere. And so the, the, the with the backdrop kind of being the cathedral, I suppose. So yeah. Less, less a traditional kind of story about, um, you know, and people, you see there's so many of these sort of what I think are kind of awful corporate portfolios or advertorial pieces for building companies yeah. um, and engineers about this sort of so-called story of a building, whereas I'm more interested in the story of the surrounding community and space with this with this thing that's getting resurrected in the background, like a kind of a backdrop stage to a an opera or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And do you, um, I was interested in that because you do a lot of diptychs and triptychs and, you know, um, spaces a bit like Mark Adams and that, you know, that you were talking about earlier. Is that, do you, do you physically move the camera along to get those different shots? Is that how you're working? Yes. So uh, so I use a view camera. So whether it be an eight by 10, um, view camera, sometimes four by five or, um, I've got a Linhoff with a medium format, um, digital back, um, on it as well so it's same as a view camera set up with the movements and things yeah. and I would set up the I sort of take a long time sometimes you know many trips and sort of visits to kind of figure out the exact place that I want to stand so and then I just pivot around a point so um, so basically you know standing in one spot and then turning the camera okay. around very right. slowly yeah um, piece by piece until I get you know sometimes I do I've done two full revolutions yeah. to get like a 720 degree kind of um, panorama. Sometimes it's 180 degrees, just whatever the mood takes me, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that, that actually, you know, as Mark, obviously, as Mark's a great mate, but I was aware of him utilizing that technique all the time, too. But it was more actually a visit to the Christchurch Museum or the Canterbury Museum seeing um, Dr. Barker's panorama, I think off the municipal chambers, council chambers at the time, a 360 degree kind of panorama of the early colonial kind of city of Christchurch that got me thinking about that. And then um, later on discovering R.P. Moore's amazing circuit camera um, panoramas from around the country. And, um, well, I really, why I really love the circuit camera is because, you know, it's, it's one image, one frame, but the way that it operates is, you know, it's, it revolves, you know, that pulls the film across while the camera rotates. So, you know, when you get that old classic thing of, you know, somebody standing in a group portrait on one side of the yes. photo, then yes. if the camera's rotating there and they run and they're on the other side too. And yeah. this sort of really subtly weird compressing or, you know, whatever the term is of, of time in a photograph and yeah. thinking about 
you know all of those sorts of things that really yeah. blew my mind when I started to think about this stuff and um and I was really privileged that I uh, Mark Strange at the um Alexander Turnbull Library the conservator showed me some of these negatives and um R.P. Moore's negatives and I was just blowing away I thought man it's a bit like seeing Jimi Hendrix play the guitar you think why would you play the guitar <laughs> after that <laughs> like, like what am I going to add to it but here we are I'm just I'm doing what R.P. Moore did in the century <laughs> yeah uh, that's nice and there's, there's something so theatrical about it isn't there when you I don't know taking those various shots and putting them all together it's it feels like separate scenes, but one scene. So it has a longer narrative than just that yeah, single, single it's image. It's really important to me. You know, this is the, because I used, you know, in the early days with Red Bus Diaries, I felt like I was going into combat, you know. I, um, yeah. It's really going against my um, natural way of being, you know, it's a very confronting or confrontational way of working or potentially confrontational. You know, you're kind of slyly, I always felt like I was sort of slyly kind of stealing photographs rather than making them. And, um, you know, later on after the quake, kind of realizing, well, after talking to Alex South via email, um, you know, I had to find my own way and my own, you know, and own methodology that I was comfortable with. And that was sort of making myself as conspicuous as possible. And, you know, wearing a, at the time wearing a hard hat and a reflective vest, but more importantly is the idea of a tripod, a camera that and a camera. Yeah. 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 And and just sort of you're so conspicuous. People know what you're doing and they can choose not to yeah. walk in front of yeah. you or they yeah. can choose to walk in front of you and and it's and people talk to you and that becomes part of the work too. And um and that's why I love doing these panoramas, you know, beyond kind of what they create. And so when you stand in a spot doing that for five hours or however long it is, sometimes it's a lot less and sometimes it's about five hours, but people talk and they come past one time a day, they come past again and they talk to you and, <laughs> and you really get in tune with the environment you know, yeah, and yeah. you kind of understand something of the place and, you know, you can really sense, you know, wind, how wind makes a difference in mm. the psychology of people, how light changes and people act differently, how, you know, yeah, how the comings and goings shift depending on the day of the week and the type of activities happening around you. And um, again, that's why a process is so important to me because it gets you, yeah, gets me out there I think, thinking. And I, I think you just inadvertently described your own shift in photography there when you were saying um you know it's more confrontational and i suppose looking at premarital breasts and these are the days in dpo and you've just started to slow down everything and almost let stuff come to you maybe that is the sort of arc of of what work you've been creating over these last few years just it feels like um yeah well, i think yeah it's definitely changed to some degree well, the, I guess the outlier in that work you've mentioned is that, you know, with my DPO work, my work on my father, you know, I was working in the same way, I guess. So when I was photographing him in the last sort of stages of his life, you know, I, it was a, an excuse just to be there sitting and more yeah. than take photos just to be with them yeah and so yeah, and you can totally it, feel that in those photos yeah i would you know the way that i would work and making that those images or the way that i made the images is I'd, again a tripod set the camera up a view camera you know you fo you go under the dark cloth you focus all the time talking to him you know you focus on his eyes and you can really see the veins in his eyes and his eyelashes and his stubble and things like that with the loop and then you come out and it's all focused and I just sit with them and I have a, you know, I had a, used a roll film back most of the time and would just talk. And sometimes it was over two hours and he'd talk and he'd smoke cigarette after cigarette. Just now and again, I'd click a photograph and, you know, before long, you'd, a whole roll was shot just on one scenario. You know, it was almost just an excuse for us to be present together in each other's company. And, yeah. um, which is very different, you know, to a, a sort of a similar, body of work that I created with my mother when she was um, ill with 
and going through treatment for breast cancer, which, you know, I shot with a, you know, a little small format, yeah. like a range finder. And, and in that instance, it was more like the camera as a shield, you know, it was a barrier to protect myself and to kind of take the moments and think about them later on a light box and try and understand how I felt about what was going on. Whereas yeah, the work with dad was very much sort of the opposite. You know, it was about being there and understanding the significance of every tiny little action. You know? Yeah, yeah, it so comes over. There's just those, it's those, uh, especially the diptychs where you look and think, is that the same image? And there's that slight difference in mouth or eyes. And, you know, it's, it's uh, absolutely beautiful, beautiful work. Very, it's very loving you know it's very affectionate thank you and you must be so proud it's it's hard for me to imagine ever doing anything like that again you know like not that i want to (laughs) (laughs) like like, um you know maybe you know you know again you know you you talk to the Dusseldorf thing and maybe you know part of my initial reaction sort of against that comparison not that I don't admire that sort of school of photography was that um you know I associate that you know with the Thomas Roth portraits very sort of yeah dispassionate kind of yeah calculating um you know these huge passport photos you know, <laughs> you yeah. know and um whereas I don't know like for my work and I get and you 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 put your finger on it when you sort of said yeah but for other people they don't get that personal connection necessarily they just get the image you know and um whatever they bring to it is what they bring to it you know so they don't they don't have that necessarily that personal connection to the person or whatever but um everything i do i do try and flesh out or make clear on some level my love for something you know and that might sound like a quite a sentimental or cheesy thing to say but you know, when I visit Avonside, for example, over and over again to the same site over and over again, it's not simply because I want to take pictures for whatever reason, it's because I really love being there, you know, and, and I care about it. I care about the environment and I care about the memories that are embedded somehow in that landscape or the people that used to live there before they were displaced. Um, I've got the, memories there myself, yeah, you know. So. yeah. No, it does. It does definitely show, and again, maybe that's something links to something we were talking about earlier. Again, with um, well, New Zealand photography maybe being happy at looking at itself sometimes. You, you, it's a love for what's around you and New Zealand and the everyday. Um, it's not a, a Thomas Ruff commentary or Thomas Truth commentary on um, art and photography. It is photography about um you know it's photography in its purest form about representing a place and it's indexical link and emotional link with the photographer and the people that live there or know the place and it's, it's, it's two very two very different things you know both equally interesting areas of photography but two very different things really yeah and um, i mean i again i i love art and i love you know, I make work for galleries and I'd be a fool to sort of, or I'd be deluded to think that um, my work, my work was somehow solely one over the other, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. but, um, but I think that's the thing I try and remind myself, you know, there's the, there's the per- personal motivation and drive and the thing that keeps you going and wanting to make and keep pushing for yourself. And then there's also the kind of the interface with an audience and um, understanding or somehow, you know, recognising the work's potential to, to kind of carry them off on their own kind of plane or reflect on something else or, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I know what you mean in, in the sense that would you keep making that work if no one was going to see it? I mean, maybe, maybe, well, yeah, maybe yeah, what you yeah. described Mark Adams would, but I don't know whether many people would. Well, you have to be just really um committed's not even the right word because it's too <laughs> subtle you know <laughs> like, yeah you have to be you know, almost a belligerent yeah kind of a belligerent attitude for it you know i don't know but I, but by the same token you know i think 
other amazing work that's made by people that are more fashion driven the kind of you know i'm not discounting any of that sort of stuff either i just i guess it's just sort of acknowledging that my own or asked those sorts of things you know um i should let you go it's been um been longer than i, than I should have been back this year in. <laughs> but it's been really 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 appreciated it's been really fun and good to talk to you yeah no problem hopefully it's um I mean, I'll, I, I, ed, I edit things a little bit, but just to make it generally just to make it, I don't know, 40 minutes or something, something that, you know, people will actually bother to stop and listen to. Um, rather yeah, than, yeah, for sure. So, um, but it's, I, I hate editing because you just have to listen, listen to it again and again and have your own voice. It's like, oh my God. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to listen no, to like, stupid questions again. But, um, <laughs> or, or maybe my, stu- my stupid answers <laughs> no, believe me <laughs> cool. well thanks thanks so much okay. you should um get back to your kids and stuff are you, yeah, are, you, yeah, like, are some... you able to work and what are you are you actually working normally? well yeah i'm just a sh- yeah well yeah I'm, I'm working at the moment on um yeah, I'm trying to update the place and time website oh great and, <laughs> right and just i'm just writing a feature at the moment to try and or to announce, I suppose, um, this uh, cathedral work okay, that I'm doing. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, so I'll send you a link once 